And this is uh, the Enviro Show here on SFM. Thanks very much, Greg Hose. It's the greenest show on the station each and every Thursday evening with me, Nancy Richards. Between 9 and 10 on the team tonight is Kim Winter and Rob Parkin. And what we have in the lineup this evening, well, following the land uh, uh, restitution of Land Rights Amendment Bill, the period for lodging land claims has been extended to 2018. But what, if any, we wondered, impact is this? Uh, is the, does the land restitution have on the environment? Well, we're going to be talking to Sandra Gore. She's of DLA Cliff Decker Hofmeyer to find out the answer. After that, the Green Economy National Youth Summit. Well, what might it mean for thousands and thousands of unemployed young people here in South Africa? We'll be having a chat to communications head for both the South African Youth Council and also the, uh, the Green Economy National Youth Summit. We'll be talking to Lungisa Mzizana. Park Spotters after that. It's a new app that puts the power of the African wildlife experience in the palm of your hand, to quote the blurb. And it launched in Cape Town just this evening, so we'll get details of it fresh from delivery, as it were, from uh, John Loebscher. He's the production manager. And then, as you know, here, if you're an Enviro Show uh, listener, regular, hope you are, we nearly always include a green goodie at the end of the show. Well, tonight, it's certainly no exception. We're going to be featuring the Faithful to Nature website. We'll be talking to founder, uh, co-founder, in fact, Robin Smith. But the point is that you too may be sitting on a green goodie, either a product, a service, or whatever it may be. And uh, if it's driven by environmental sensibility, uh, then what you can also do is not only contact us here at the Enviro Show, but you can also uh, perhaps enter for the Enviropedia's Ecologic Awards. And we're going to be talking about those, getting all the details for you later on with David Parry Davies of Enviropedia to get the details. And uh, don't forget, if you've got suggestions for conservation icons, we look forward to hearing your suggestions too. We're hoping very soon. We've spoken to Lewis, um, Lewis Gordon-Pugh. We've also spoken to Virginia McKenna. Hoping to be talking to Daphne Sheldrake very soon. But if there's anybody that you know of that you'd really like to hear a little bit more from, how nice it would be to get David Attenborough, if he's well enough. But we'll, we're working on it, don't, uh, don't worry. So let us know. Go to, pop us an email. We're at enviro at safm.co.za or you can find us on Facebook. It's The Enviro Show on SAFM. Just got a few little bits of eco, irresistible eco info for you. News firstly from Collector Can is that they're launching an initiative called Can Do Tuesdays. It's designed to create something of a network of restaurants, corporates, businesses, schools, collectors, etc., etc., uh, to safeguard the environment and ensure a sustainable income stream for collectors, which will ultimately contribute to job creation and nation building. Well, the Can Do Tuesday campaign aims to encourage restaurants in the greater Gauteng region to collect the cans generated through the day-to-day business. Collect Can will then assign informal collectors in the areas to specific restaurants who will then collect the cans from the participating, t- participating restaurants and sell the cans right back to collect a can for cash. Good call all round. And then I saw this on the website. Um, apparently there was a, a study done and a group of people went to the homes of 20 volunteers and tested 14 kitchen items for E. coli, salmonella, listeria, mould and yeast. Well, the five grossest items that they found in people's kitchens that regularly come into contact with food and simply weren't cleaned carefully enough were, in order of appearance, Refrigerator compartments, you know, those handy little drawers that help us organise our food, they get dirty very, very fast. They were the germiest items in the study. 
After that, blenders made it to the top of the list because many people simply wash out the blender jar without assembling it. After that came can openers. The gears can get really gunky, so they say, on a can, can opener. And they were covered in salmonella, E. coli, yeast and mould. And then rubber spatulas, and uh, this one was a little bit mystifying. Also E. coli, yeast and mould were found on rubber spatulas. And food storage containers. Well, while the containers themselves are usually easily to clean, the lids often have grooves where they seal onto the container and those get really, really grotty. You're listening to the Enviro Show. Stay with us. This is SAFM. It is indeed SAFM, and I hope I haven't grossed you out, as they say, with those really horrible, gunky things in your kitchen, but it does make you think, hey? So next time you're cleaning around the inside of your fridge, just think you could be doing yourself a bit of a favour. Well, the Restitution of Land Rights Amendment Bill 2013 proposes significant amendments to the Restitution of Land Rights of 1994, notably allowing for land claims to again be submitted, despite the current cut-off date having long expired almost 15 years ago. And the new period for lodging claims will be up until the 31st of December 2018. So the question here on the Enviro Show is what, if any, impact are land claims having on the environment? Well, with her thoughts, we have Sandra Gore. She's Director of Environmental Practice for DLA, Cliff Decker-Hoffmeyer. And we've got her on the line to, to, to share what she's been thinking. Hi, Sandra. Hi, good evening. Nice to have you with us. So the, um, the uh, period of time where people can still put lodge claims is up until 2018. Um, any idea, I know this is not your area, but any idea how many land claims have been made so far? Sorry, I don't actually have the statistics in okay. front of me on that. Okay, no worries. But there have presumably been quite a lot, but obviously a way more to go. Yes, the minister is expecting an avalanche of new claims, quote unquote. Okay, an, oh, an avalanche of new an claims. An avalanche is the word they use. Um, strictly speaking, it won't be 2018 because they, they hope to pass it um, this month. They hope to speed it through Parliament and Cabinet. Um, to mark the centenary of the Native um, Land Act, Act yes. which was promulgated, um, whereby 87% of um, ownership was proclaimed for, for white ownership. Um, it has been delayed because the stakeholders were given a longer period to comment. There's been quite a few um, concerns raised, and also Parliament set up an ad hoc committee to investigate um, the success of the land restitutions process. Okay. So we're not quite sure. They're hoping to have it um, put into effect this year, but it won't necessarily be 2018. How do we measure the success of the land restitution process? The main issue they have looked at is productivity. Um, and in the land reform document, um, the government does note that uh, land for land to rep be restituted. It must be used sustainably. Um, a lot of land restituted has been agriculture, and statistics and research, and even the department itself, um, has stated that 90% of claims where land has been restituted have actually um, failed. Tisseleni, uh, the Deputy Minister of the Department of Rural Development and Land Reform, has stated that um, his quote is that lads literally have farms have fallen apart mm. on restitution. So they've failed, in, in other words, not been used uh, either productively or sustainably? Productively or sustainably, yeah. because I mean, the moment you're, for example, on agricultural farms not used productively, you have your environmental impacts that it's not being sustainably used, it's not proper agricultural methods. I mean, past research over Africa has shown that one of the 
main environmental impacts has been poor agricultural um, methods. Practice, yeah. Practices and management. It feels like it could be reversible. It could. Unfortunately, a large amount is, is required to, to make sure people that are being given these, these lands back are, are being able to use them productively. And it's, it's taking today 2.14 billion, the statistics I've, I have, um, that's re- been required to recapitalize these projects when land has been restituted. I'm assuming that we're talking about in, sort of in terms of agricultural land only. I mean, uh, you know, if it's not used productively in a way, you know, the farming practices have not been optimum, so it hasn't been producing, which it sort of impacts on food security, I suppose. It but impacts in a huge way. Mm. And the sector, the food um, agricultural sector is quite small, but obviously with the, it's, there has been a lot of um, reports done that is leading to higher food prices because also there's been um, investments decline in agriculture if there is a land claim potentially being lodged over or pending over a land. Um, Agri-forums come out quite strongly regarding the new restitution um, process because of that reason. Has any of the land been used, again, it might be taking you out of your area, but has any of the land been used for anything other than agriculture, I mean, for development at all? Um, no, I mean, the other, it's more in your rural areas, but obviously there's also been a lot of land claims along the sides of the Kruger, um, in KwaZulu-Natal, where it's more pristine land. And I think the issue productively is, is quite interesting in the Malamala case. This, um, it's over the Malamala Game Reserve. And initially the claimants were only grazing and cropping. And um, in the subsequent years, they've basically restored it to a pristine um, wilderness condition. And there the court, it actually went to the land claims court and it's going to the constitutional court in August. They found that the um, community couldn't actually use it productively because they wouldn't be able to maintain it in a sustainable manner and to preserve its present conservation status. So it's obviously not just on agriculture, it's also on pristine rural, pristine areas near nature reserves. Along the side of the Kruger, there's been several land claims in that area. Hmm. You, just looking ahead to the avalanche that's still to come, apparently, how do you think in the light of what, we've, what we're hearing now, that 90% of the land has, has failed, if you like, what can be done, what sort of uh, measures can be put in place to avoid this going on with the avalanche of, of claims still to come? Well, look, the, the Act has been amended to um, include the word productively. Mm. That's the land, um, if it's restored, it must be productively used. Was it not there before? No, it wasn't there oh, before. Okay. And also that costs, the cost implications must be considered. You know, unfortunately, productively, it's, it's quite a loose word. Mm-hmm. And it seems to have more of an economic, socio-leaning. Yes. Um, and sustainably is used in um, the policy documents, but it hasn't come through in the Act. And unfortunately, there's not a linkage to the National Environmental Management Act, um, which quite clearly sets out the principles of sustainable development. Uh, sustainability probably has a thousand meanings to every single person. Yeah. But um, NEMO, the National Environmental Management Act, you know, clearly sets out what must be considered when a property is going to be developed. And that's, for example, that disturbances of ecosystems and um, impacts to biological diversity must be avoided, degradation must be avoided, 
um, must preserve the integrity of ecosystems. And most importantly is that environment is, the environment is held in public trust by the government. But th- these principles are stated to only apply when governments taking actions under legislation to protect or manage the environment um, or where there's going to be significant effect to the environment. And obviously the, the objective of the Restitution of Land Rights Act isn't protection of the environment. So these principles might not necessarily apply. They could in a case such as the Mala Mala Reserve or where there is land being restituted that is more sensitive. For example, the St. Lucia area along the Kruger Park. Mm. You know, in a court, in seeing the court in the Mala Mala case, they did. I mean, they looked at whether the conservation status can be maintained. But there certainly isn't a direct linkage. And yeah. it's, it's certainly a pity that the, the, the Restitution of Land Rights Act doesn't speak to the National Environmental Management Act. Yes, yes. It, it seems like that connection should have been made. But, you know, just, just lastly, I'm thinking, you know, you talk about degradation should be avoided, ecosystems need to mm. be protective protected i don't think anybody would be going out deliberately to allow their land to be degraded it's not in anybody's interest there but would there be likely to be any sort of punitive measures taken if the land has been proven to have failed miserably uh, almost beyond repair or it would take too long to repair could it be returned or reclaimed by the government no no i mean not under the not at all there's no no provisions under the restitution of land rights act for that for you know, if it fails, or, like, or you know, a default that it get, gets returned to the previous owners. I mean, obviously, if significant pollution is caused, yeah. that's a different issue, and the environmental authorities can take actions. But actual degradation of land and um, or letting agricultural farmland go to waste and having invasive species take over, that, that certainly wouldn't be an actionable offence. No. No, it would be an educationable offence, perhaps, yeah. that could, something could be done about it. Just very lastly, sorry, Sandra, um, just one more. You mentioned earlier, you know, stakeholders needed to be uh, allowed to sort of state their case. Mm. By stakeholders, it's such a broad uh, a broad word for so many different people. Mm. Who are the stakeholders? Well, the, people seen, claim... the main comments have been from the agricultural sector, mm. and they have been um, opposed all along to a new, uh, new uh, land reform policy uh, process taking place, you know, for the reasons we have discussed, mainly food stability, um, lack of investment, and that they have seen prices rising and banks and um, financial institutions not wanting to invest in agricultural land if there is a land claim potentially looming. Um, which has a side environmental effects as there's not sustainable farming practices then taking place and the land is allowed to degrade. Lovely. Okay, Sandra, thank you very much. I think you've certainly um, thrown some light on this area and, and when that avalanche happens, who knows <laughs> what will happen then. The but avalanche. thank you. <laughs> yes, indeed. Mm. Yes, it's quite, quite, a, quite, a, quite a phrase to have coined. Sandra, thank you very much, Pleasure. Sandra Gore. Thank, thank you. you. Sandra Gore is Director of Environmental Practice for DLA Cliff Decker Hoffmeyer, throwing a little bit of light there on uh, land claims and uh, the impact of them on environmental terms.
You're listening to the Enviro Show here on SAFM. And don't forget, if you'd like to contact us at any stage, you're welcome. We're at, uh, if you'd like to phone us right now this evening and join in the conversation, you could do it 0892 10 2010. Or you can find us on our Facebook page, which is uh, the Enviro Show on SAFM. This is SAFM. And this is uh, the Enviro Show on SAFM. Well, the most important thing, I suppose, about environmental concerns and initiatives to protect the planet is that everyone embraces them, especially the young people whose future is going to depend on it certainly way more than anybody else. Hence, the South African Youth Council are holding a Green Economy National Youth Summit from the 23rd to the 25th of June. And uh, we have in the studio with us, we have communications head of both the SA Youth Council and also the Green Economy National Youth Summit, Lungisa, uh, Lungisa Mzia. Mzizana. Lungisa Mzizana. Lovely to have you with us. Thank you very much for joining Thank you. us. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Jen. Okay, let's, uh, let's begin at the beginning here. The uh, South African Youth Council, was it the South African Youth Council themselves that decided to have the Green Economy Youth Summit? Yes, uh, it was the South African Youth Council itself that uh, out of the various policy formulations that government has have in response to the uh, need for sustainable development uh, that it has formed. So the South African Youth Council then came with a concept on the Green Economy National Youth Summit. Okay, to get this, this word stakeholders, uh, <laughs> this everybody together. So, who, yeah, it is a very broad term, isn't it? So who are we getting together to be part of this summit? Um, primarily, who we are getting together, it's uh, the youth, uh, also the private institutions, institutions and universities that are, are currently busy with uh, renewable energies like the uh, University of Stellenbosch and other universities, NMMU, government as well is part of the of the of the program. Also we do have its agencies, government agencies and private business that is currently busy within the field of uh, renewable energies. So uh, Almost uh, we are able to cover the stakeholder term in its broad yeah, sense. Yes, absolutely. And the youth, which is also a broad term, yeah. can anybody that wants to come along, or are, are you sort of handpicking the people who are going to be there in terms of the youth? No, we are not handpicking. We are allowing uh, almost everyone who wants to participate. Uh, uh, one, you would understand that uh, there's youth on this side that uh, want to participate and also ensure that we have a sustainable development way uh, to protect our environment, also uh, get to benefit in the spin-offs that come with uh, uh, the move to, towards the green economy. Also, you do have uh, already companies that are busy uh, installing ether turbines, geysers in our homes, uh, recycling around our, our, all our places. So you bring all of them together and therefore focus on the, on the, on the program of ensuring uh, youth participation. Youth participation in terms of training, in terms of job creating, in terms of internship, or what have you got in mind? Yes. Uh, the new growth path, which has been developed by government, predicts that uh, there's a possibility of 300,000 jobs that might be created out of the... Countrywide? Countrywide, mm. that's countrywide. And also it places a lot of jobs that uh, might be within the renewable energies. So firstly, there are jobs that are there. And also we know the, the levels of uh, unemployment that are affecting yeah. our youth. Uh, also there are economic opportunities uh, because we do have young people uh, in various places that are busy within the renewable energy sector. 
uh, want to participate, want to, the sector to be open to everyone for participation. If people live in, in if you would know that in Credo currently there are biofuels that are being produced and there's a lot of money that rural development has uh, given to young people and cooperatives and all the older people to plough so that they can produce for biofuels. So broadly, we want to ensure skills development. We want to ensure that there's mentorship and coaching and development of young people that want to participate within the sector. So we want to capture both those uh, those side of the world because education is important and skills development is central if we want to be able to achieve all our targets. That yeah. Are in. yeah, education is central and, and very active, in fact. I mean, you mentioned the University of Stellenbosch. I think they've got a lot of sustainable, yes. they've got a sustainable in sustainability institute, in yeah. fact, haven't they? And I think quite a lot of, uh, certainly UCT as well, and I'm sure all the universities have got their fingers on the green pulse because it is a growth area. So you could be looking at, when you talk about economic opportunities, entrepreneurship, mm. any, any young people that you know that are, are sort of starting up businesses that could be qualified as yes. green businesses? Yes, uh, actually this, uh, uh, later on this morning, the, the today, I was speaking with a young person uh, who is in the Eastern Cape, who is involved in renewable energies, who is now looking at, at markets internationally. So he was, he was asking, will we be having international guests that can be able to link them up and fund him in, his pro in the projects that are innovative, which he, which he has come up with? Uh, and also I, I indicated that, yes, we do have the German embassy that will be part of our summit, uh, which is the person that is leading renewable energies within South Africa, South, Af South Africa in, 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 in Germany. So yes, broadly, there are, there are young people that are already involved in the project. Mm -hmm. And also, in terms of uh, installation of geysers, there are artisans uh, required at that, at that level. In terms of uh, hydropower production, wind turbines, and if you look at all these uh, big terms, uh, so to speak, they actually need engineers and yeah. technicians that need to be able to to, 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 to be able to participate with it. Yeah, absolutely. They need mm -hmm. the engineers, that, that they need the boffs, the sort of science boffs, but they need right down mm -hmm. to the, as you say, the artisans are going to get it together. Mm. You mentioned Germany there, and it's good news that, you know, there could be interest from from Europe, from, uh, you know, from America, I suppose, because here we sit with with our wind and our sunshine and we're just, you know, we've got <laughs> these resources. Yeah. But what about elsewhere in Africa? Because we, there must perhaps be a way that we can share mm. what we're doing in with Africa. With our with our neighbours, even yes. the satellite countries. Yes, I think uh, I think that we have received uh, indications from the Ghana youth. There are youth that are in Ghana which are involved in, in renewable energies. They had said that they are going to be part of our delegation in South Africa. We are also working with media partners that are in Africa. Uh, so the the event in itself is able to attract both in Africa. Uh, the, the current uh, technologies that are used in, in, in Africa. So it will showcase, showcase those new technologies within and broadly uh, look international. Because one would know that uh, if you look at the sector with the time that we have, we have spent, you find that international companies are actually already in South Africa. How do we then as South African companies and also broadly young people uh, place themselves within that space? Who's behind this? Because it's happening at the Cape Town International Convention Centre, which is not a cheap destination, I'm sure, yes. as you know any too well. Yes. Um, have we got the ministries on board? Who's yes. Uh, quite fortunately, I think that our, our, our government has been receptive to us. Uh, we do have the, the, Minister of, the, the Ministry of Energy, the department that is financing us. Also, we do have Human Settlement, that is part of the programme, uh, DTI, 
also is part within central energy fund also is uh, is, is one of our main sponsor, main sponsors energy and water sita which is a sector uh, skills development uh, training authority that is part of our our sponsors so Broadly, we do have uh, people that are sponsoring. Also, the people that will be exhibiting during the summit are able, therefore, to finance it. The deputy president will be obviously opening the summit on Monday morning. We spoke a little while ago on the program to Oxfam, who had put together um, a, a dialogue called You Can't Eat Electricity. And they, what they were talking about, I'm just putting this to you as an idea, uh, they were talking about the, the link between addressing climate change and all the issues that we have to go with it and the, the need for sustainability and poverty as well. And when you talk about human settlements, one instantly thinks of the townships and you instantly think of the difficulties yes. of just getting by there. Mm. And, you know, how can one, how can one have uh, combine the issue of solving those sort of human mm. settlement problems and right. the green economy, building the green economy at the same time. How do you see that that could work? Exactly. I think that uh, we have been, we have had the program with uh, human settlement and we are also having long-term uh, plans. Uh, there are two houses in the Western Cape. If you would know that uh, our houses, were the, the shacks around here were hit by serious uh, fires and people therefore uh, had no place to stay. They have showcased some of the of the of the houses that are built with solar panels around mm. that are protective. So that that's where uh, human settlement enters. Also, they have new other projects that they have ventured in around the Western Cape and uh, in the uh, across the country as well. So it, it is able to therefore respond to the basic things that people think about. Uh, the fact that people can afford electricity currently, and also there are cases that can be can can be installed in their houses, and, and they are able to. To, to have hot water in the morning and also we save electricity and we are efficient. It seems like there's potential for there to be a lot of things on your agenda over a couple of days because it's, it's beyond just creating jobs for mm. the youth, isn't it? There's a whole lot more besides. It's happening at the Cape Town International Convention Centre. Is there a programme and are there a whole yes. lot of different uh, uh, debating panels that people can get involved in? Yes, there's a thorough programme. Uh, which we have developed. Uh, if you look at our website, which is www.sajays.org.za, uh, you'd you'd find our program, our finalized program. It will start on the first day. It is also having panel discussions. Uh, what was interesting, uh, if you know, the deputy president is leading energy within within government. Uh, he wanted a, 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 a position where he will be able to engage with young people, not just a talk shop yeah. where, where you can just tell speak for 30 minutes or an hour and then leave the young people. He wants an extensive time to be part of a panel of young people and we'll be having young people that will be in a panel with the, de with the deputy president for some time. Also, we do have CEOs that will be in panels, in our, in our panels, who are in the industry. We have young people that have climbed within the various ladders within the industry that are now at a, at a, at a top level leading big projects like uh, Metulit Matunjo, who's at G7 Renewable Energies. He's uh, one part of, the, of young people that can showcase young people part of the things that you can uh, participate and gain within. So we do have an extensive program for the two days in ensuring that we come up with concrete resolutions, not just a talk show. Yeah. And it seems like a very good opportunity for if you've got questions, mm. it's a great opportunity, a great platform for people to come along. So anybody may come. Is there an entrance? Uh, yes. Uh, if you look at our website, uh, you would find that we have we have been able to be lenient, and uh, we have various uh, delegation fees that we we do pay. But also we do have some spaces 
that uh, perhaps on Monday, which uh, where there will be an extensive uh, debate as well with the deputy president, that will open to people. So as people come in and and and, and register, we start registration on on Sunday. But people should be able to RSVP uh, by tomorrow, later on tomorrow, so that we can be able to sort accreditation processes. Okay. All right. So let me refer anybody who would like to get along get along to the Green Economy National Youth Summit. It's quite a mouthful. Green Economy National Youth Summit. It's happening at the Cape Town International Convention Centre between the 23rd, that's Sunday, and the 25th. And I think Kim and I perhaps should go along there with our microphone and see who we can see <laughs> and see who is saying what. It certainly will be interesting. So the website once again is www.sageys.org.za. S-A-G-E-Y-S. And I think Kim's going to put that up on our Facebook page. In fact, she's done it already. There you go. How quick did that come? Lungisa and Susanna, thank you very much. Thanks for joining us. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to The Enviro Show. Stay with us. This is SAFM. And this is The Enviro Show on SAFM. And don't forget, check that page. It's The Enviro Show on SAFM. Well, this next one brings all of Africa into the palm of your hand. Well, not quite, but certainly the wildlife aspect to it through a brand new app launched tonight in Cape Town called Park Spotter. Well, we have on the line with all the details production manager John Lopeshaw, and he's just come all the way, I would imagine, from the uh, launch event this evening. Hi, John. Hi, Nan. Oh, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Good, good. I can just hear you too. Were you at the event this evening in Cape Town? Yes, I've just made my way home. Oh, good, good, good. Thank you very much. So just explain to us about bringing all of Africa, or certainly the wildlife experience, into the palm of your hand. How does it work? We've basically developed an app called Park Spotter Africa for uh, iPhone, which basically puts uh, puts a guide, a map, a field guide all in one, but with the added feature of a park spotter, which basically means you can view animals, photograph them and actually geotag your photographs into a library, which you can keep and refer back to. Um, so if you're a bird spotter, for example, you could spot a bird in a tree, photograph it, and then refer it to a field guide, which would actually show you all the birds that you could find in Kruger, for example. And you can then tag that bird to your to your sighting or your spotting, pick it on a map, and save it into your own library. Okay, that sounds like a good call. But what if you uh, what if you're nowhere near the animal experience? I mean, you know, I sort of kind of fondly thought that you were right in the middle of the centre of uh, Johannesburg. You could bring the wildlife to you. Can you access other people's pics? Yeah. Yeah, well, what you can do in the what, what the app does is you can view all the rest camps and you can view everything offline. So it's not really that you have to be included to view all the information on Kruger or on Itasha or on Kahalakadi. Uh, the images are all loaded in. Um, and you can basically view fauna, flora, and we supply a lot of information around that too. So you'll have paw prints, you'll have size, you'll have a photograph of each animal or tree or plant or bird. Um, and those are all stacked up stacked up in the various menus. So you have a centralized sort of remote control menu that will give you info, anything from rest camps to all the points of interest in the park, from the water holes to the historic sites. So is it is it a bit of a... Uh, come on, is it a bit of a sort of a tourist thing that you're doing a deal with the parks, you know, to sort of get people excited about going to the parks? We, we, a little bit of both. We're really not involved with parks at all. We've developed it all by ourselves with a company called Polymorph. Who's, uh, we've done a joint venture with them. And we really, you know, what we'd like to, we built a base app. We've put five parks on it at the moment. And I think, we'd, you know, I'd, I'd like to add another hundred if we can. So that we just really create 
excitement around our parks and around spotting animals. So you mentioned Kruger there. What was the other one? Kruger? Yeah. The other we've five? Done, other four? We've done Kruger North and Kruger South. There's Edo, Utosha, and Kahalakadi at the moment. Okay. And each park is each park is broken up into into rest camps, which will give you all the facilities. It gives you a photograph of the campsite. You know, is it self-catering? Do you, do you have communal kitchens? Do you, do you have your own kitchen? That kind of thing. And it also has a direct dialing function, so you actually have a button you can press, and it will actually phone to who's that, or the phone reservations in Johannesburg. It just takes that sort of hassle out of, or you can even email off it. Um, it's all kind of linked, so it's quite nice. Yeah. When you say that you, you'd like to have a whole lot more, I mean, we've got, heaven knows, it got enough enough parks here in South Africa, Southern Africa and across the continent, really. It, might they just get added to, or would you have to apply to get the new ones added on? They'd be added to. So what we've done is we've built a base app, Parkspot Africa, and what you do is you can actually download that off the iTunes store now, and it'll give you a teaser. So you can actually you can pick one park and you'll be able to view And probably about 10% of the content can actually play with it and, and, and do, do a lot with it. And then what we've done is an in-app purchase, so you can then unlock a particular park if you want to purchase it. So as we add parks, we will just populate that base app with more new parks. It seems to have, uh, it seems to have legs. I, I would imagine that it would be very popular for tourists. I mean, can people access it outside? Well, obviously they can, outside yes. of South Africa. Yeah, they can, they can download it off the iTunes store and they can play with it, and they can download all the content. So they don't physically need to be in the park. The great thing about the app is that when you are actually in the park, the mapping, the mapping basically comes to life and positions you as you move. So when you take a photograph, uh, it will actually tag exactly where you took that photograph for future reference. So if you went back to America, you could literally show somebody on the map, that's the day I spotted the elephant, that's a photograph of him, and that's where I saw him, on that river. And will you have him roaring as well? Uh, not yet, but we're working on that. <laughs> okay. It sounds like lots of fun. John, do, do you see that this is just a start? I mean, might, might you be doing something? I mean, you know, this, these are the parks, but equally you could be doing, um, I don't know, our beaches, our coastline, our yes. forests. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, that studio has been building. I mean, what we currently do is we do anything from trail running to mountain biking to hiking. And obviously, being a base app, you know, it doesn't have to stop at parks. We could, we could add, we could add an adventure guide. We could, uh, we could turn it into just about everything. Mm -hmm. and, and, and the real key to this all is, it's about having a, a map, positioning yourself on a map in an area, and then seeing what you can do around you, what activities there are, and, and then we've got this cool function where you can take photographs and tag them, which is really quite nice. Bottom line, how much does it cost? The large parts like Kruger are six dollars ninety nine. And the smaller ones like Itosha, Kahalakadi, and Edo, we've done four ninety nine. Did you say six dollars ninety nine? Yeah. What is and that in what is that in rand? Uh, at the moment, I think the, the dollar hit ten thirty three today. So it's oh, so it's not massive. It's not huge, and if you consider you're getting a map, I think a, a sort of yeah. standard map over the counter would be sort of forty five to fifty rand. Yeah. And it's a geo, you know, it's a map that basically will geolocate you. And the great thing about it is, if you don't have a GPS signal or you are offline or you've got no 3G, you can still use the map and you can still move around the map. And the map is also linked to all the content on the app. So if you click on a point of interest information, it will zoom in on the map. And if you do it in reverse, it works the other way around. So if you click on a point on the map, it will give you some information about it too. 
Well, there you go. If you too would like to have uh, all of Africa's wildlife in the palm of your hand, so to speak, that's the, the place to go and get it, is the website. It's parkspotterafrica.com. John Lobesell, thank you very much. Look forward to hearing more when you get to all those other ones that you're dreaming about uh, altogether. Thank you very much. Take care. Cheers. www.parkspotterafrica.com. Parkspotterafrica.com. And yes, we will put it up on our Facebook page any minute. Well, as you know, we nearly always close the show, nearly always close the show with something that we call a green goodie, which is a product or a, a service or something that is driven by environmental uh, concern. And tonight's absolutely no change. We're going to be talking in a minute to the Faithful to Nature website founder, but uh, she's Robin Smith. But first, we invite you not only to send us your green goodie ideas, but consider entering into the Enviropedia Enviropedia Ecologic Awards. Well, we have Mr. Enviropedia himself on the line. He's David Perry Davies, and he is the founder, the editor of Enviropedia. Got him on the line. Hi, David. Hello, Nancy. Good evening to you. Nice to have you with us. You feel like the the father of environmental things because I think you founded the Enviropedia a long time ago. Indeed, but 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 a follower in some ways, uh, Nancy, and and. Looking to going that step beyond green. What's, what's, what's the next step beyond green? Um, and that's what the Ecological Awards are really about, um, is to take that next, next step beyond green. Yes, I, green has become a little bit of a sort of hmm word, hasn't it? I suppose we do, we do need to start thinking more uh, more expansively. And it was interesting, I don't know if you heard us talking to this young chap who is involved with the Green Economy National Youth Summit, where they're looking at, you know, it's not just about being green and doing all the right things. It's about actually turning it into our, part of our daily living, creating jobs, making it so much more. So when you say beyond green, what's in your headlights? A little bit of a shock came to me, uh, Nancy. Basically, we, you know, the Enviropedia has been pumping out environmental information education for the last 13 years in South Africa. And in publishing the last edition, I stepped back and said, you know, is this really working? And the horrible realization came to me that actually, since 1992, a lot of people have been pumping out environmental information and not enough has changed. So that realization saying, well, if if we keep doing what we've always done, we're likely to get what we've always got. Mm. If we're not getting the right results, then we've got to step back and look at this and say, well, what's wrong? What do we have to do differently? And we came to the conclusion that the green has, has literally been addressing symptoms rather than the cause. Um, rhino poaching is a symptom of a mentality. Um, pollution uh, and, and uh, littering is, is, is a symptom of a mindset. It's, it's our mindset that drives our actions, and it's the actions that produces the results that we're currently seeing, not very nice results that we're seeing in terms of climate change, etc. So if we want to change the scenario, we've actually got to go back to the mindset. So that's what Ecologic is really about. It's about looking at the value system that drives our attitudes, that drives our behavior. And um, that's what the Ecologic Awards are, are, are really about. It's about looking at a value system and saying, how do we look at things differently? Um, if we look at the obvious uh, value systems that have been causing damage, some of them are really quite, um, as I say, obvious. I mean, we, we are driven by a short-term uh, mentality, a short-term thinking in terms of our economics. And nature doesn't operate in a short-term basis. It operates in long-term cycles. Um, secondly, if we, if we look at um, the way that our education system drives us, it drives us towards 
specialization. And the more specialized you become, the less of the big picture that you see. Um, so we need to be looking at a more holistic perspective. So there's a whole series of values and, and ways of thinking that we've put together that, 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 that creates what we call ecologic, mm-hmm. uh, a more ecological viewpoint, which will drive our behavior and therefore produce different results. So that's what the Ecologic um, Awards are about that we've been running for the last couple of years. And we are looking for the kind of people and the kind of products that, that epitomize that, that value system. Okay. Um, I'm very tempted to go up the education avenue because, you know, I suppose the, the way to sort of really start changing mindsets is when minds are very, very young. And perhaps, you know, if we if we are driving our young people into uh, specialising, which is maybe not such a good thing, we need to be really readdressing the curriculum. Um, but heaven knows, it's had enough changes already, maybe we just need to let it settle. But then give us a concrete example. I mean, you talk about how do we look at our value systems differently. Give us a concrete, you know, without wishing to sort of uh, give too much away, because I'm sure if anybody's listening who might like to enter, um, one doesn't want to sort of put too many seeds in their minds. But Give us an idea of what you have in mind. Okay, well, let's just quickly run through those different categories that we're looking for people, and then, then I come back to that, that, that example, if, if that's all right with mm. you. We've got 13 different categories, and we are looking for examples of people, communities, uh, municipalities, um, who are trying to do something in a more sustainable manner. So we're looking for products and services that are going to conserve water, energy, transport, recycling, biodiversity, and climate change. We're looking for individuals who are doing positive things for the environment in terms of youth, eco-angel, eco-warrior, lifetime achievement, community, and municipality. So those are the different categories, and we invite people to go and look at uh, the Ecologic Awards website to to enter because we're wanting um, leaders, we're wanting examples of, of positive behavior. Yeah. If we look at the value system that we're talking about, ecologic, as I said, what we've done is we we stepped back and we said, well, what are the values that, that seem to be highly destructive? And if we look at those values and we look at the opposite of those, one of the first that steps forward is, is basically short-term thinking. We seem to be driven by, um, you know, we used to be looking at the profitability of a company on an annual basis. More recently, it became quarterly. And nowadays, your, your um, stock markets react literally by the minute. Mm. But nature and our ecosystems, which sustain us, don't operate on that kind of short-term basis. They operate on, on long-term cycles of sustain, mutual sustainability. So we can't say that we need to abandon our short-term thinking. What we need to do is balance our short-term objectives with a more long-term perspective so that we can sustain what we're doing over the long term, not just on a yearly basis, but on generational basis. So that's, that's one of the first foundations of what we call ecologic. The second, as I, as I was mentioning earlier, is a more holistic perspective because at school, um, you're taught a limited set of, of um, subjects. The moment you leave school, you're encouraged to, to 
specialize into a particular area, and then once you specialize into a particular area, you find that the more specialized you become in each area, the higher your salary. So you're driven to become more and more specialized, which gives, uh, results in a kind of silo thinking, great depths of thinking, of understanding, and great heights of understanding, but losing that interconnectivity, that, that broader perspective. So in parallel with, with our um, depth of understanding, we need to take time to look at the more holistic perspective of life. Um, again, individu- another element that we've been encouraged to do is to explore and expand our individuality. And this is wonderful. It's, it's a very positive thing. But when individuality um, is expressed to the extent that it disconnects with our understanding that we are part of a community Um, and you you lose that uh, understanding that we are dependent on our community in order to survive, then you're creating self-destruction. We have a wonderful article written uh, in the Enviropedia by um, Bishop Tutu who talks about Ubuntu um, and our need and our understanding of Ubuntu but going beyond Ubuntu in the conventional sense to go to eco-Ubuntu because we're not only dependent on our society for us to survive, we're dependent on our ecosystems mm. in order to survive. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm absolutely, I'm following where you're going, but I'm just thinking, you know, it is difficult because I absolutely get you on the short-term thing. I mean, in years gone by, people stayed in jobs, for instance, a lot longer, and they would see the fruits of their efforts uh, and what they had plans for, you know, some way down the line. But, you know, the trend more now is for people to move from job to job. A CEO may only be in a position for three years, maybe five years maybe not long enough to see the fruits of what they're doing. So we're all becoming a little bit uh, short-sighted and self-sighted. Well, th- this is what the Ecological Awards are about. It's about reviewing our value systems. We're saying that green is very good and we need to do this, but green is about your, your material actions. But we need to remember that, well, just look back and, and, and see what's, what's been achieved and what has not been achieved. And we're saying that... Um, not enough has been achieved. I think we've been addressing symptoms rather than cause, and cause is a mindset. Um, now, just before we get too philosophical here, because I mean, let's come back to the awards. We don't want to frighten everybody away thinking, oh, gee whiz, I don't know what they're talking about. We maybe need to think in, in quite simple terms. You just read out the list of uh, 13 categories. I mean, there really is something for everybody here, isn't there? I mean, whether whether you're a young person or a, uh, an eco-innovator, there's something that everybody can do. What do you have to do to enter? Do you have to... Um, Send a picture? Do you have to send a sort of proposal, business plan? What do you need? Nancy, basically we invite people to go to the, the Enviropedia website, www.enviropedia.com, and click on, and there is an entry form. The cost is the cost of your time, and the time will be well worth spent because we're looking to find those individuals, those organizations who are achieving constructive things for our environment, and we want to put them up in in spotlights and encourage people to support them. Um, We want to take the positive route forward, and and as I say, by identifying those people and those products and those services that are doing good things for the environment, um, we think that the consumer... um, can contribute very substantially mm-hmm. to, to, to driving sustainability. 
if you support organizations that are producing products in a, in a better way, their market share increases, and by virtue of that, you know, they'll find it worthwhile to do more. Um, so it's, it's just creating a positive cycle rather than your um, self-destructive cycle. It's the opposite of that. It's finding the good things and the good products and services and in, in, in organizations doing good things. Let's support them, encourage them to do more. Excellent. So www.envirapedia.com. Uh, you, you click on and enter your um, your ideas or your products, your services. It's a thousand words, and it's as simple as that. And off you go. We're going to put that up on our Facebook page as well. Thank you so much, David. Thank you for your time, Nancy. A pleasure. David Perry Davies is uh, Mr. Enviropedia. And if you would like to enter your whatever it may be, plenty of categories, and you will certainly find yourself fitting into any one of those categories. Uh, check the site, www.enviropedia, E-N-V-I-R-O, P-A-E-D-I-A dot com, Enviropedia dot com. Well, next up, finally, we have ourselves a green goodie, and our green goodie this evening is a lady by the name of Robin Smith, who is the co-founder of a website called Faithful to Nature, and we have her on the line. Hi, Robin. Hello. Hi, can you hear me? I can, can you hear me? Yes, yes, loud and clear. Great. Lovely, lovely. Tell us about Faithful to Nature. I've had a quick look and you do all sorts of exciting things, green, online green shopping, etc. You've got a nice blog. Um, wh when and why did you start it, Robin? Okay, well, Nancy, um, as you say, uh, Faithful to Nature is an online organic um, store, you know, where you can get all of your green alternatives. But it started six years ago when I returned to South Africa from London and was actually looking to buy um, organic cosmetics for my own personal use. And not only could I not find cosmetics in the health shops um, around South Africa, but the cosmetics that I found that were being marketed as natural and organic had no labeling on them. So I was really concerned about the, um, the ethical and you know, transparent labeling of the products in this industry, um, and also really wanted to be able to distribute organic products so that everyone who wanted to go green could go green. And that's where the motivation for Facebook okay. came from. Okay. And also why we decided to keep it online, because then we could service the whole country as opposed to just servicing the community around us. In the last six years, have you found that things have changed fairly drastically? You know, the green industry, for better or worse, has, has exploded. Have you found that there are a lot more products that you can access locally that are natural and organic and labelled? Well, um, yes and no. Um, mm. A surprising thing when we started Faithful to Nature was that we thought we would have to import so many of the products. And actually, there are just so many amazing things happening um, on South African soil, and there always has been. Um, the products just weren't distributed very well. So that was, you know, a great positive was um, from the onset of our business, we've always stocked at least 80% of our products have been locally produced. Um, saying that, there have become so many more um, alternatives um, available in terms of um, the breadth and the width of product categories. Mm. So before, you know, one might only be able to find um, organic um, creams. Now one can get organic makeup, organic yeah. nail polish. Um, you know, buying sustainable clothing is a lot more easier. Um, actually moving into green and sustainable um, lifestyle items for your house yeah. um, has now become an alternative. Are you very stringent about what you do and don't carry? I mean, do you test everything? I know you've got a little, you've got a little girl or a little boy. I know you've got I've time. got a little boy. And do you, do you test everything very carefully before you say, yes, we'll put it on? Well, that's actually the core. That's really what discriminates or sets Faithful to Nature apart. Um, we were one of the first uh, 
um, companies, not just in South Africa, but also in the world, to actually create an ingredient policy um, with a set of ingredients that we would not um, ever allow in our products that we sold. And those ingredients that we put on that list were your most common ingredients that you found, um, you know, widely used in um, cleaning and cosmetic and food items. Oh, can you, um, can you share with us what some of them are? Yeah, uh, you know, um, I would really recommend that people do contact us if they're interested because we've actually got a free pocket handout okay. um, which lists these ingredients and it's credit card size so you can actually keep it when you go shopping. Um, but for instance, we won't stock any, um, any products that contain um, parabens. And I mean, that's become you know, quite a household name in terms of ingredients. Um, I don't know if you've heard of parabens before, Nancy. Yes, I have. I can't say yeah. that I know much about them, but I certainly have heard of them, yes. Yeah, but, I mean, basically they're very common preservative. And, and you know, the thing with, with a lot of the ingredients that we've put on this, this list, they've also become very affordable um, ingredients to use in cosmetics, which is also why you find them so, you know, um, widely um, available in the, you know, in the products. But something like parabens um, is an endocrine disruptor has been linked to it. So... Um, it, you know, it potentially messes with your hormones. And the thing is, we're not a scientific body, but what we do is we go and we find, you know, we just go onto the, the Internet, and if we see that there's a lot of contentious information surrounding an ingredient, we we'll won't stock it because our policy is why take the risk. There's so many incredible alternatives out there that contain ingredients that don't have any contention or any perceived risk around them that almost cost the same um, that are a lot more effective to use, so why wouldn't you use them? Yeah. Have you got a lot of followers? Because I was going to say, you know, very often things that are natural and organic are, are scarcer, they're rarer, they are more expensive. How, do you find that your, your numbers are increasing? Our numbers are increasing exponentially. Um, I believe you've got 7,000 really followers um, on Facebook. Sorry? I believe you've got 7,000 followers on Facebook. Yeah, actually 7,600 almost. Oh, okay. Probably even over that today. Mm. You know, obviously it's increasing every day. But, um, and, you know, that number is increasing all the time. But the thing that's really special about our followers is um, our repeat business statistics are off the roof. Um, mm. So, you know, when people find the Facebook Nature Service, um, when they use us, um, it's very rare that we actually do lose customers. Just, just lastly, uh, are, have you got exclusives? Uh, have you got a range that people can't get anywhere else? I mean, not that that's important to the, yes. the organic cause, but it's just something to know. Um, we do have some. Um, uh, you know, uh, we've got, um, we hold exclusivity to an organic range of sanitary wear, which is tampons um, and towels. Um, and in fact, we're actually just about to get a shipment in of, um, which is quite new to Africa, of non-toxic and safe um, crayons and paints for kids. Mm. So, yeah. it, but, yes. But yeah. just also to answer your question, um, one thing I think that your listeners would be very um, interested to hear is that we stock such a breadth of products. And one of the things we're really trying to do is to make going green convenient. Um, that's that's we, we take away that um, the pain of going, you know, to six different health shops trying to f source different things. You know, whether you're looking for cleaning products, makeup, um, as I said, you know, uh, kids' art materials, um, personal care like sanitary wear, uh, sustainable socks, you know, socks that are yeah. made of mohair and bamboo rather than nylon, we stock it. Um, well, so Robin, we're going to... exclusivity yeah. in terms of, like, the breadth of the range. Yeah. 
We're going to have to leave it there because we're out of time, but lovely to have okay. a chat, and uh, maybe you should consider Great. entering into the Ecologic Enviropedia's Ecologic Awards, just a thought, Enviropedia. Yeah, it sounded very interesting. D it is, eh? Enviropedia.com. Yeah. Lovely. Robin Smith, thank you very much. Very best of luck. Stay faithful. Thank okay, you. Okay, thanks, Nancy. Take care. And if you'd like to find out more, it's www.faithful-to-nature.co.za. Faithful-to-nature.co.za. ZA. And I'm sure you can find exactly what you're looking for there. Well, thank you very much, team. Rob Parkin and Kim Winter, and I'm Nancy Richards, and I'll be back tomorrow. And right now, time to hand over to Stephen Kirker. <laughs>